You are listening to audio from Redeemer Church in Odessa, Texas. You can connect with us online by visiting RedeemerChurchOdessa.org. Good morning. My name is Gavin Gray, and I serve and attend here at Redeemer Odessa. We will be in Ephesians chapter 1, chapter, or chapter 1, verses 1 through 14. And you can, if you're following along, we'll use the ESV version, or it will be up on the screen behind me. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Jesus Christ, grace to, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which with he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven, and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the, according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, we're sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our Lord stands forever. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Redeemer Church's IT department, for reading the text today. Good morning. It's good to be with you. Uh, my name is Tanner House. I'm the lead pastor here at Redeemer Church. Thank you so much for being here. Braving the Elements. If you're a guest, uh, there's the Connect card under your chair. You can take a minute, fill that out, and get it back to us. There's also a QR code. Uh, they're kind of scattered randomly around the building. So if you want to scan that, uh, fill that out, get it back to us. Let us know how we can plug you into the life of the body, how we can serve you, um, any question, answer any questions you may have. If you are on your phone, like Gavin said, we use the ESV. And if you'd like a physical Bible, you can raise your hand. Bogdan will be happy to deliver you one. So my undergraduate degree is in what's known as human development and family studies from Texas Tech University, guns up. Yeah, um, so me and the other sorority girls would pile into these classrooms and listen to these feminists tell us how life worked. Um, usually the problem was with men, which was really cool for me because a lot of times it'd be the only dude in these classes. So that was fun. There was this one class, though, that was really interesting. It was called Theories of Development. We were looking at a lot of scientists giving their opinions on why we were the way that we are. Uh, the longer the class went on, and the more we dove into these theories, one thing became increasingly apparent to me. Our environments matter. More recently, I read a book called, uh, by some Christian counselors called The Relational Soul. It's like the Christian's response to the Enneagram, if you're into that or know what that is. They argued scientifically 
and I, and I have to agree with them, that the stuff that happens to us during our first 18 months to two years of, of our lives has a lasting impact on the rest of our life. Uh, so no pressure, parents. Um, but if you're to honestly assess the collective sum of your life, I think you would all agree that regardless of how your upbringing was, how great it was or how not so great it was, all of us, or at least most of us, carry with us through life wounds from our childhood. These, these authors essentially argued that we come out of the womb wanting to know two things. Am I loved? Do I matter? When we come to Christ by faith in the resurrection, then the answers to those questions are emphatically yes and yes. Because of what Jesus did for us, we're loved. This is more than God feeling warm, fuzzy emotions towards you. This is love beyond comparison. This is love beyond measure because this is love in action. Because Christ has died in our place. And because of the calling that Jesus has placed on our lives then, we know that we do matter. We have been made for meaning and we have been made for purpose. It then becomes a daily battle to rest in our identities as beloved children of God who are made for a purpose. And we often fail to rest in or fail to remember that our identities are as children of God. As believers in Jesus, as followers of Jesus, I think it's safe to say that when we sin, it is rooted in unbelief of who Jesus is and his promises to us. We forget our identities. We forget our identities because biblically sin is rooted in pride, thinking we're better than we are, and unbelief, not thinking highly enough of Jesus. And when we operate in sin, sinning against God and one another, when we operate in sin, we are forgetting our true identities as children of God. And so today... We are going to begin walking through the book of, uh, we've already done Galatians. This is Ephesians now. We're going to be walking through the book of Ephesians together for the next several weeks. And I just want to remind you this morning of who you are in Jesus. I want to remind you of your true identity as a follower of Jesus. I want to tell you that you're loved and you do matter. And I want to show you what's available to you as a child of God. I also want to show you that there's really only one proper response to your identity as a believer in Jesus. And if you're not a follower of Jesus, or maybe you think you are and you may not be, if you're not a follower of Christ, I want you to consider these things as well. And know that this type of love is available to you through faith and belief in Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And so let's pray. We're going to hop in together. Lord Jesus, we need you. Show us our need for you. Lord, I pray that you would 
be active and diligent this morning to root out any fear, any pride, any idolatry, any unbelief, Lord, that is keeping us from engaging with you, keeping us from submitting to you, keeping us from following you fully. Lord, we're just broken people in need of help. Show us that this morning. Church, if you're willing, I'd ask that you would pray for yourself, that the Lord would remove distractions, that the Lord would bring conviction where conviction is needed and encouragement where encouragement is needed. Lord, we ask you to move in our hearts this morning. Lord, we love you. Help us to love you more. Lord, we trust you. Help us to trust you more. Do a work in us, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. All right, let's set the scene for the book of Ephesians. We're going to begin chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So this is a letter from a man named Paul. He is an apostle of Jesus. An apostle is one who is sent by, commissioned by God for gospel ministry. Paul had been radically saved by God while he was persecuting the church, while he was killing Christians. He was on his way to Damascus, and he had an encounter with the risen Jesus that changed his life. You can read that about that in Acts chapter 8 and 9. Um, and out of this conversion, Paul became the greatest missionary for the gospel the world has ever seen. Paul addresses this letter. He writes this letter to the saints in Ephesus. Saints meaning believers who are in Ephesus. So let's consider this briefly. Paul says, saints who are faithful. The word for saints in the Greek is this word, it's pronounced hagias. It's the same word that is used for holy. So Paul is writing to believers in Ephesus, the holy people of Ephesus who are faithful. So these are, these are not just adjectives. These are like positional words for these people in Ephesus. They are faithful saints, which means this. Because of their relationship to Christ, they are then considered holy. They are considered faithful. Faithful isn't meaning, in this usage, it's not meaning that they're merely trustworthy people, but it means they have been found faithful. They have been made holy. They have been made faithful because of their relationship to Christ who has saved them. So if you are a Christian, you are then a saint. Not because you have done anything deserving of sainthood, not because you are in and of yourself holy, but because of your relationship to Jesus. You are a faithful saint. Not because you have been faithful, but rather Christ was faithful when we were faithless. So we have this letter addressed to the holy saints in Ephesus who are faithful in Christ. And this letter is considered a general epistle. Epistle means letter because it's not necessarily written to one church, but to many churches in the region of Ephesus. Ephesus was a strategic city in in its day. 
At the time that Paul wrote it, it was one of the largest cities in the world. It was a hub for commerce. It was a hub for pagan idol worship. So the Roman goddess Diana, her temple was there. Or if you're in the homeschool co-op with my kids, the Artemis, the temple, the Greek goddess Artemis, the temple was there. I'm going to invite my kids up now to sing the timeline song for you. I'm just kidding. Um, oh, yeah, Sanaa could do it too. Yeah. Um, so it used to be one of the seven wonders of the ancient world, this temple. Now it's just a pile of rocks that you can go see. Um, but this was a, a big city in a, in a very strategic location. And then it had all these little villages around it. Think of like Dallas-Fort Worth. You have Dallas and then the great city of Fort Worth next to it and all these other towns around. This was kind of like Ephesus in the day. This letter would be read at the mother church of Ephesus and then taken from village to village to village to village to be read to those congregations there. It is today known as Turkey, the country, not the food. This is where this church was at. So if you want to do some more reading on the Ephesian church, you can look at Acts 18 and 19. Paul writes this letter from prison to instruct believers in every place, both then and now, who are faithful in Christ Jesus, those who have been called into salvation through Christ and are then united to Christ by the resurrection of Jesus. He says grace and peace from God. Grace, meaning the unmerited, undeserved favor of God to you, and peace, the resulting blessing from being united to God and one another through Jesus. Grace and peace from God by and through the work of Jesus. Okay, so that's the context that Paul is writing. Let's hop into the meat of this passage. We're going to begin in verse 3. It says, Blessed be God. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. So Paul starts our passage today, and actually this is one long, giant sentence in the original Greek. It's like 300 words. That is one long sentence. And he starts this sentence by worshiping God. Then this passage he'll close with more worship of God. He says God is the blessed one. This means that Paul is saying that God is the one who because of his perfect sinless nature, because of his omnipotent power and his omniscient all-knowing presence and his goodness that God alone, he is the one that is worthy to be praised. God and God alone is worthy of our worship. This passage is Trinitarian in its nature meaning we see the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, all members of the Trinity, God three in one, one in three, members of the Godhead, all three are present and active here. And Paul is attributing this blessedness to all persons of the Trinity. God, for who he is, is worthy to be praised. And remember, Paul is writing this letter from a prison cell. So in spite of his circumstances, he is moved to the worship of God. Listen, every single one of us worships something. This isn't limited to our western West Texas culture. This is a people problem. But culturally speaking, we are obsessed with celebrity. We are obsessed with our sports teams. 
We're obsessed with our children, and we're obsessed with ourselves. We all worship something. If you want to know what you worship, look at where your time goes. Look at where your money goes. Look at where the sum total of your affections so easily go. And if your worship is going towards anything other than God, Scripture would then call this idolatry. Idolatry happens when we take the gifts that God has given us. So, for example, money, relationships, sex, family, anything. We take these gifts and we turn them into our main pursuits. Some of you pursue comfort outside of the will of God. Some of you pursue um, this through sex and relationships outside of the will of God. Some of you pursue, and I fall, probably fall into this category, some of you pursue validation through the applause of men uh, outside of the will of God. But what this verse is telling us is that God has blessed us with everything that we need. We don't have to pursue comfort. We don't have to pursue pleasure. We don't have to pursue approval outside of God because he has already provided that to us in himself. And he is sufficient. And as our creator, he knows what we need, in, what we need intimately. Listen, in moments when this is true of you, when you're pursuing fulfillment outside of God and God's will for your life, one thing we could do is pray and ask God to reveal areas of unbelief to us and ask for God to give us desires for him. Ask for accountability from people in your life who love you and want your growth in Christ. So if you're a believer, for example, if you're a believer in Jesus, you don't have to seek approval outside of God's will. Because if you are a believer in Christ, you have already been approved by God through Christ. That's one of the benefits, one of these spiritual blessings that Paul is talking about. This term spiritual blessings communicates to us a wide-ranging blessing in which God has blessed us with in Christ. Paul uses the term in Christ 11 times in this one sentence. Uh, here's a little Bible study tip for you. First of all, Bible study's good for you, so do it. Um, the tip is, though, when you are reading your Bible and you see the same phrase repeated over and over and over again in the same passage, take note, it is probably important. So Paul is saying, we have these spiritual blessings in Christ. These blessings are given to the people of God. These blessings are the benefits of God applied by the Holy Spirit in our experience of getting to know God. So regardless of our circumstances, regardless of our sufferings for the sake of knowing Jesus, we are always experiencing the blessing of knowing a resurrected and reigning King Jesus. And this occurs through intimacy given to us by the Holy Spirit. Richard Koken says that we are reminded that these blessings come to those who are in Christ. God wants us to remember that we owe everything to his son. We're blessed not just through Christ as the mechanism for getting blessed, but we're blessed personally in Christ to whom we are united by faith. These are resurrection blessings. We can enjoy 
if we have turned to him in faith by the forgiveness of our sins. So can we just take a moment and marvel at the fact that not only has God made a way for us to be reconciled back to him, but then he's blessed us beyond comprehension, as if our salvation weren't enough. God has not only given us life through himself by the forgiveness of our sins, he has given us tremendous blessing. So what are these spiritual blessings? Well, I'm glad you asked. Let's keep going down this text. Let's look at verse 4. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. Okay, so we're going to look at three spiritual blessings today. But first, I want to start with this. And this is the highest privilege that the gospel affords you. You have been chosen by God for adoption. This is known as the doctrine of election. And before you shut down, as this doctrine has divided believers for many generations, consider a couple of things with me. Some people think this doctrine is mean and cruel. Some people think that it is contrary for a loving God to choose some. But election and predestination are, are Bible words. So let's deal with the text. From the beginning, from the beginning of the Bible, we see a God who chooses people to display his glory. God chooses the pagan Abraham for salvation to bless the world through his descendant, Jesus. God then chooses the nation of Israel to be his people in the Old Testament. And then in the New Testament, God chooses to redeem a people unto himself, the church, in order to display his power and his might and in order that he gets the glory. It brings God praise to predestine us for adoption. God is active in salvation. God is the one who calls us to faith to believe in him. When left to ourselves, because of how wretched our hearts are, because of how wicked our hearts are, because of our sin nature, we do not choose God on our own. Because of the fall of man back in Genesis 3, Sin enters the world through Adam and Eve. In their choosing to not trust God, we then inherited their sinful nature. We are rebellious. And we choose ourselves, which will always lead to death because it is against God and against God's will for our lives. God chooses to save through the work of Jesus on the cross. God chooses to save by Christ's death, his burial, his resurrection, and his ascension. It is not based on any merit in us, but simply because of God's good pleasure. When you consider how broken and sinful you really are, the thing that should cause us to wonder it's not that God would choose some and not others, but 
just when you consider the depths of your own depravity and the depravity of us all, what's amazing is that God, who is patient and kind, calls anyone to salvation. The only thing that I have contributed to my salvation is the sin that made it necessary in the first place. And look, I don't understand the doctrine of election fully. I think we have to hold it with open hands. And we have to accept some level of mystery here. It's interesting to me that Christians are willing to accept the virgin birth of Jesus. Jesus was born by a virgin. We're willing to accept that the death of one man is sufficient to save those whose faith is in Christ. We're willing to also accept that Jesus ascended and then will be coming back on a horse in the clouds. I don't... Mystery. We should also be willing to accept, according to Deuteronomy 29, that the secret things belong to God, including salvation. What we see in the doctrine of election is not a cruel and repressing God, but a God who is loving and a God who saves impartially. As he calls people from every tribe, nation, and tongue on the face of the earth, Paul tells us that his election is because of his love to us. It says, in love he predestined us to salvation. In love he predestined us to adoption as sons and daughters of the great King Jesus in accordance with God's good and perfect will for us. When you consider election and predestination, don't think of it as like God is some bouncer at a club. That you're like waiting in line trying to get in and, and he's just not going to let you. I, I know most of you are too holy to get that reference. but um, <laughs> Devante gave me a better example probably years back. He said, it was like, it's not like watching a ship sail away from you and you're standing on the shoreline screaming, take me too, take me too. And the ship's like, sorry, we got no room for you. That's not how it works. That's not the heart of God. Election and predestination ought to lead us to worship because we have been given a great gift of salvation. And listen, I'm speaking to the angry Calvinist in here now. It should not lead us to pride and arrogance, which unfortunately for a lot of people who share this theological conviction with us, it has. This should lead us to thankfulness, and it should lead us to mission. So I'd call you to consider Romans 9 through 11. So a lot of people that share this theological conviction would say, like, there's no reason to evangelize because God knows already. And I would say that's, that's true, that God does know who are his, but then God has invited us to be a part of this work. So Romans 9 through 11, Paul is outlining his whole defense of the doctrine of election and predestination. And then in Romans 10, right smack in the middle of it, he tells us that people respond to the gospel through the preaching of the word. Generally speaking, those of us who are believers came to faith in Christ because someone told us about our need for God 
And the Spirit worked in our hearts to soften our hearts and to call us to faith. This should motivate you because God is the God who saves. This is God's gospel. We're not responsible for how anybody responds to us. We're not responsible for anybody's response to our message. But we are responsible to our obedience to make disciples, to plant churches, to live missionally, where we live, where we work, and where we play. And what a privileged church it is to be invited to share in the work of God. That's a blessing. So in tender and compassionate mercy, we've been adopted. God has called us his very own. God has not just saved us, but he has adopted us. He has given us the privileges of a son that belong to Jesus. We share in the privileges of Jesus. Koken again says, We therefore enjoy the tender love of our Heavenly Father, who is our provider, our protector. He disciplines us for holiness in his love. Think about this. I don't know what your life was like growing up. But imagine with me what it would be like to have a perfect dad. He's never distant. He's never short with you. He's never annoyed by you. He's never too busy for you. He's never unsure of how to help you. He just delights in you. Because you're his. That's what's available to us through our adoption. God, our perfect Father, is all of these things and more. And by your adoption through Christ's death and resurrection, we are brought into a family. So then we have this cool secondary benefit of our adoption. We have brothers and sisters, a church family. I don't know about you, but there have been times in my life where I've struggled, dare I say, like suffering, and I cry out to the Lord, and he doesn't immediately remove my affliction. And I think he does this as a means to strengthen my faith. But the church is a gift to us to care for us in times of trouble, to point us back to the gospel, to bear one another's burdens, this is one of the reasons why we push community here, in order that we are functioning like the church in the New Testament. We don't have to fake being perfect. We don't have to pretend we're okay when we're not. We're pushing you to humble vulnerability in order that we can be fully known and fully loved and cared for by the people of God, our family. You can't do this on your own. You need the church. We are hell-deserving sinners that have been adopted by love and called into a family. Before the foundation of the world, God's love was set upon you through Christ. 
And that should move you to worship. Verse 7. Let's keep going. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us, and all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in him, things in heaven, and things on earth. So the second spiritual blessing then is redemption, forgiveness by God. So this implies first that we need forgiveness. Listen, I say this every week, and I plan to say this every week from here on out because we are so prone to forget, but we are so sinful. Our sin is more than just making bad choices. It's rebellion. It's rebellion against a holy and perfect God who has demanded us to follow him and love him and do so perfectly. And because of our sin nature, we just don't. And even if we could, we wouldn't. And yet, in Christ, in him, the text says there's forgiveness according to the unmerited favor of God, the riches of his grace, which God, who sees all and knows all, has richly poured out upon us, which has all been done according to the will of God. And this was all according to his plan, set before the foundation of the world. Listen to me, Jesus was always plan A. When God placed Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden in order that they may worship him and have perfect fellowship with him, God was not caught off guard by their disobedience. God was not caught off guard by their disobedience. God knew, and God made a way for us to be reconciled back to him. And at the right time, Jesus came And Jesus died in our place. The death that was ours to die, Jesus died for us. So now we'll never have to die that death. And one day, at the right time, Christ will return and unite all things under his authority. If you are in Christ, Christian, you will be with him for all eternity. Someone shout amen. Amen. Thank you. If you're not a believer in Christ, then the time is coming when Christ returns and will cast you out of his presence for all eternity. But through his blood, poured out as the perfect payment for our sins, and by his resurrection and through his ascension, we can have eternal life. Being redeemed in Christ is both now a now and a future blessing. We will enjoy eternity in his presence, yes. And that is good and praiseworthy. John 17, 3, though, tells us that eternal life begins when Christ saves us. We get to know God now. Redemption starts the moment you were called into faith. And we can live in light of this blessedness now. Listen, a lot of you function like Christianity means your faith is securing for you something good later on. But what we see in the Bible is that there is blessings in Jesus now. You can be free from sin now. You can live without fear now. 
And you can live without guilt and shame and without condemnation now because God has forgiven you, Christian. You have been set free from sin and you can worship God freely and delight in God freely now. You can have a relationship with your maker now. We are redeemed. We have been redeemed from the punishment of sin. And that means we are redeemed for holiness and mission now. If you are a Christian, you have no excuse to be passive with your faith. You have no excuse to minimize your sin. Because you know what you've been saved from, that should lead you to follow Jesus. And if we're honest, so many of us just take a casual approach to the things of Jesus. We would rather do whatever it is we want to do and sprinkle in a little Jesus between the busyness of our lives if we can squeeze him in. Listen, there's eternity at stake for the people in your life that don't know the Lord. And when we minimize our sin or when we minimize the church and we minimize the things of the Lord, we are ultimately communicating that we don't think we really need God and that we don't think our sin is a big deal. And listen, Christ shed his blood. Christ shed his blood. Christ was betrayed and murdered for us, and we are so flippant about that far too often. The goal of Christ's redemption for us is not only that we are redeemed for an eternity, but that we are united with Jesus in his resurrection now. God saves us for a relationship with him, and in that relationship with him, there are blessings, and far too often... We miss out on those gifts of God to us because we are so consumed with worldly things that only satisfy us for a second. This is a call to delight in God who has given himself for us, for our pardon, for our adoption. And look at how Paul ends this one long giant sentence. Verse 11. It says, in him we have obtained an inheritance, having been, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things together according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. So the third spiritual blessing this morning is our inheritance. In Jesus, we have obtained an inheritance. The inheritance is God himself. God, by the death, burial, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus, has sent the Holy Spirit to indwell believers. I think this verse loses some of its thrust when we talk about it as an, as an inheritance and, and inheritance as we understand it. So, for example, my grandfather is 95 years old and still driving, still going strongish 
Um, but he is, however, according to some, about to outlive his money. So when he dies, um, my mom and her brothers might have enough cash left over to go to Rose's in his honor. What this text is talking about when it talks about an inheritance is more than some like measly inheritance that is left to the kids after we've enjoyed our retirement and peaced out. This is more like a down payment on a house. The Holy Spirit is the promise of more things to come. The Holy Spirit is the guarantee, the first installment of all that we will inherit from God. But before we think of the Holy Spirit as just a future inheritance, if you are a believer, he is with you now. He is our helper He helps us in our fight against sin. He intercedes for us before God when we don't know how to pray. He lives in us and he guides us now. He is the promise of an inheritance, of more things to come. And we have him with us now. God has purchased us and God has promised us a future inheritance with himself. And we will reign with Jesus And he has given us the Holy Spirit as a sure sign of that promise. If you are a believer in Jesus, Jesus then lives inside of you. The Holy Spirit who is present at creation, the Holy Spirit who empowered raised Christ from the dead, the Holy Spirit, the God of the universe lives inside of you. What amazing blessings we have. Verse 12 and 13 speaks directly to Christians. God is himself your inheritance. You are inheriting a promised kingdom that will not be shaken. Paul ends with praise. So that leads me to this and we'll close. As you consider this whole text, this speaks of your identity as a believer. Do you believe that about yourself? Do you believe that about yourself? Listen, when you struggle with feeling unloved and unworthy and that you don't matter, Christian, that's your pride and that's your unbelief and that's not from the Lord. And listen, I need to empathize with you. I struggle with this a lot too. I struggle with this a lot. And there's probably a bunch of reasons. Some of my struggles are the result of imperfect earthly relationships. Some of my struggles are because I put a lot of hope and security in this job to fulfill me. And none of this is the will of God to me. God's will for us is to know him and to delight in him and to rest in him. We get to know God through his word. I think our feelings can be helpful. Our emotions can be helpful. But they often lie to us. Because our hearts are just perpetual idol factories. So rest in Christ. Christ has given us himself. 
Christ has given us his gifts. And all of these things that this text talks about are yours if you are in Christ. This is your God-given identity as chosen, beloved, blameless children of God. And this should lead you to rest and delight in him. So when you're anxious, what lies are you believing about yourself? What lies are you believing about God? When you're fearful, what lies are you believing about yourself? What lies are you believing about God? Christians in here struggling with fear and anxiety. Jesus says, come to me, all who are weary and all who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. In the presence of Christ, there is a perfect love that casts out fear. You've been given an identity as a child of God. Rest in the truth of God to you. When you feel any other way, contrary to what this text says about you, have you been pursuing the Lord? Have you been pursuing Jesus through his word and through prayer and through church and through community? Or have you pushed away further and further from God and his gifts and his people? God is not distant from you. If you're a believer in Christ, God delights in you and he disciplines us in love for holiness. And oftentimes our struggles in the faith are the results of our willful, ongoing, wandering away from God and his promises. And God calls us back. This passage ought to lead us to worship and delight because we have these promises available to us. Man, how long has it been since you've really considered your God-given identity and responded in thankfulness to God for your salvation? Christian, during our response time, respond, respond from that place. Respond out of a grateful heart. And if you don't believe in Christ, why not? I want to tell you, you have not outsend the reaches of God's grace to you. You can receive his forgiveness too. God loves you just as you are and is offering you himself this morning. Receive his forgiveness. Turn from your sin. He will give you himself as your inheritance. He will give you a new heart with new desires and you can have a family, a wonderfully messed up family who we're all just trying to follow God in the worship and adoration of Christ together. This Jesus who defeated sin and death on our behalf is calling us to faith and repentance this morning. So let's worship him. Let's pray.